0: Marking its 40th anniversary in 2022, Blue Door is the largest emergency housing provider in York Region, providing life-saving support to children, youth, adults, seniors, and families at risk or experiencing homelessness. Along with offering emergency housing and housing retention support, in the past two years, Blue Door has expanded its service offering to further work toward preventing and ending homelessness through Inclusion, the first supportive housing program for two SLGBTQ youth in York Region. Construct, a social enterprise by Blue Door, providing supported skills training to help youth and adults break barriers to employment and secure meaningful careers in construction trades. And launching in 2022, a health hub which will include a nurse and in-reach system navigator to help people regain the health and well-being needed to secure and retain permanent housing. Join Blue Door's mission and become part of the solution by learning more at bluedoor.ca. We at On The Way Home would like to acknowledge the original stewards of whose lands this podcast is recorded on. In York Region, we recognize we're on the traditional territories of the Wendat, the Haudenosaunee, and the Anishinaabe peoples, and that this is the treaty lands of the Mississaugas of the Credit. And in Vancouver, we acknowledge that we are on the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh, whose presence on these lands continue to this day. <coughs> Welcome to On The Way Home, a podcast dedicated to the issues surrounding homelessness and the incredible experts making a difference in the lives of homeless people. Remember to subscribe to the podcast anywhere you're listening and share it with a friend.
1: Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of On The Way Home. I am your host, Michael Braithwaite. And as always, and I can say that with great confidence, because we have a streak going on here. As always, we have an awesome guest to drop knowledge and wisdom. in the sector this week and you know we're so fortunate week after week there's so many people in this country around the world uh doing life-saving life-changing work that we can learn from hey why you know you don't have to be an original you just have to open your eyes look around and be willing to listen to others there's so much great work being done across this country uh across the world that we can borrow from uh in our uh, push you forward to and, and prevent homelessness and reduce poverty and so we'll get to that guest but I want to tell you some stuff that is happening at of course my organization Blue Door. Uh, Blue Door as you hear this podcast will probably be uh, somewhere in June when this podcast drops And of course uh, in Ontario that is Pride Month and uh, a couple of years back probably three four years back in York region There's not one but two surveys done, one by the wonderful folks at Seneca College that looked at the needs of 2SLGBTQ plus youth, uh, which showed they didn't feel safe in our typical emergency uh, shelter programs and housing programs, and there wasn't enough. Uh, So there's lots of great work that came out of that. And there was a second survey done by The very famous Dr. Alex Abramovich, who does great work in the sector, that showed much of the same, that we need specialized programs for 2SLGBTQ plus youth. And I'm pleased to say, about a year and a half ago, Blue Door responded to that. We came up with a program called Inclusion, which is I-N-N, like an in, you stay, Inclusion. Pretty catchy, I know. Hey, it's called Inclusion, and it is a uh, a semi-independent living program for 2SLGBTQ plus youth um with wraparound support so it's pretty cool it's ever growing we're learning as we go along uh but a really cool program that i'm quite proud of at blue door and we're going to continue to grow that and hopefully scale it across the country um because it's it's good work and that need is straight across uh the country if not north america and of course this podcast is also brought to you by our friends and partners the canadian alliance and homelessness and they do some great work if you ever wondered what built for zero is built for zero campaign is go to their website check it out they're always looking for new communities to take on a built for zero uh plan so check that out of course their conference is coming up in november it's the biggest of its kind it is an awesome conference there's so much learning um, at that conference so many great speakers so i encourage you to sign up and hey if you're looking if you're uh, a company that is looking to reach out to this sector, there's no better place to be a sponsor at than that conference and, and hit you know a couple thousand people at the same time. It's both virtual and in person. Uh, so if you don't want to travel, it's in Toronto this year. You can attend virtually, but if you want to, you know, you've been cooped up for the last couple of years, come on out to Toronto. It'll be a wonderful conference. But let's get to today's guest. Today's guest, I have been trying to get on the show for a while, and because she is so, so busy, and so humble, too, she'll never tell you that, but she is so busy saving and changing lives with her organization, uh, always willing to share, and I've heard from others in our community, I mean, our, our sector, really, That's a hey, if you want to learn something, go go see this person, and, and uh, she'll share, and she does, because she's always doing innovative, cool, changing work, and, and they're always pivoting you know, to make sure uh, that her organization is meeting the needs of our most vulnerable. So let me introduce you to today's guest. We have Dirtra Freiheit, who is the president and CEO of Shepherds of Good Hope and Shepherds of Good Hope Foundation. Um, So SGH, as we'll call it right now for short, is a dynamic, innovative organization that cares for the needs of adults experiencing homelessness and who live with mental health challenges. Hey the language matters that's what we say experience people experiencing homelessness or adults because we want you to see the adult first right um substance use disorders and trauma uh, shepherds of good hope operates a large homeless shelter soup kitchen and five supportive housing residents lots going on uh, she's been a leader in the nonprofit sector for almost 30 years despite only being 35 years old um, and having previously been executive director of the Health Charities Coalition of Canada and CEO of the Canadian Lung Association. She's a former member of the Institute Advisory Board for Nutrition, uh, Metabolism and Diabetes of the, of the Canadian Institutes of Health Research. That is a mouthful. Uh, a lay reviewer on the Heart and Sorg Foundation Research Grant review panels and is passionate and is a passionate advocate for marginalized populations. If you haven't gained that already, she absolutely is. She's a graduate of Atlantic Business College in New Brunswick. Deirdre, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you for having me, Michael.
1: Uh, It's great to have you here. So we ask the same question, uh, first question each time. And while there's themes and similarities, it's always a little different because it's different for everyone who answers it. Uh, Deirdre, what does home mean to you? Well,
2: as many people have probably said, it means family, Uh, but it also means many things. It means safety. Uh, security a refuge a place to go at the end of the day Uh, whether it's a good day or a bad day just be able to to come to a home your own home and have that security is nice and i think for me the big word that comes uh, to mind when i think about home is gratitude because uh, not everybody has the luxury of having a home and i see that every day and when i come home at night i i really do appreciate the fact that um, i have a home and so my team and I are there to try to to help people who don't have a home obtain one.
1: Absolutely, and you're doing a great job with that. What a great word, gratitude. I think that so often we take for granted when you look at that simple that symbol symbol uh, symbol of home, which is a key on your key ring, right? And not everyone has that key that unlocks that door. For your individual home. In fact, uh, there's over a quarter of a million Canadians on any given night, right? That don't. That don't. But your organization has doing great work to uh, rapidly reduce that. Now, um, while your organization is often in the media due to its uh, amazing work, most recently <laughs> you made national news when uh, a certain convoy uh, landed in Ottawa. Can you tell us a little bit about what happened, and more importantly? The awesome response from the community—it's just a, a great story. Yeah,
2: I, it's certainly not something we expected by any stretch. Uh, wasn't wasn't media that we had anticipated at all. Uh, but in January, when the Freedom Convoy came to Ottawa, uh, we we were sort of the, one of the first organizations that experienced some of the. Um, of the side effects i guess of of the 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 number of people who came to ottawa to to protest and we had a couple of incidents one was you know some people came down to the soup kitchen and demanded uh, to be served meals Uh, they had some altercations with our volunteers and our staff and we had to escort them out of the building and there was a statement made on social media that shepherds was you know happy to support the patriots and so we just felt we needed to respond to that And our response was we're here to serve people who are experiencing homelessness we're here to to serve people who are in the community who are precariously housed and may have to make a uh, you know a choice to pay pay the rent or or have food and and so that that is who we're here to to serve and uh so we just wanted to get that statement out there to, to to differentiate what was happening we also had um, a person in the shelter who was in his 70s and living with schizophrenia and was beaten by a couple of people who were just associated with the convoy. And we had a, a, secu- a security guard and a peer support worker who saw this happening and went to help. And then they experienced racial slurs and they were able to get the person back to safety. But, you know, it was a series of events like that um, and so I think the community responded, they were angry. Um, and, uh, and they responded by donating. And and the response was just absolutely incredible. And to the point where we're going to be able to, you know, put uh, a lot of those resources towards building housing. And um, so that's, you know, out of something challenging, always something good comes out of it. And uh, the community response was amazing. And frankly, it wasn't even just people in Ottawa, it was around the country. And even even across the world, it actually shut down our donation system at one point. We had fourteen thousand individual donations in a very short period of time. So, you know, uh, good always comes from difficult circumstances.
1: Yeah, what an amazing story! And I remember hearing that that the the system actually couldn't handle it, and what a great problem uh, to have. And it just you know what that shows that. I mean, one of the one of the reasons we do this show is if we create awareness, if Canadians know, if they're more aware of the challenges, they are very generous and kind-hearted, and that's mm-hmm. a great example of that. Of, hey, we didn't know, and if you really want to make a change, if you see something like that, give, and, and man, do they ever! So that's they very are. cool. Now, yeah, and your, your so your organization, I touched a little bit on what Shepherds of Good Hope does, but I'm hoping you could expand on that a little bit for our listenership.
2: Sure. Uh, So we operate the largest shelter in Ottawa for uh, adults of all genders uh, and and people with very complex issues. They may be struggling with um, developmental delays, uh, concurrent disorders, substance use. Uh, mental health concerns so we operate the largest shelter but you know really um, that's not that's not where it ends for us that's only the beginning so we feel that shepherds is really provides a continuum of care for people who are experiencing homelessness we want that and we talk a lot at shepherds about homelessness being an experience and not an identity and so our role is to really get people out of that first Chaotic experience of, of of being homeless or of being homeless or becoming chronically homeless by providing housing as well. So we're uh, we're a very large supportive housing provider. We have five locations across the city. We're currently building our sixth, which should be done at the end of December, and uh, we'll um, we and then we're also building a, another new one downtown, and we have plans for several more. So really, uh, within the next 12 to 18 months, we're hoping that we'll be housing more people than we actually have in the shelter for the first time in the organization's history which is uh that's our goal that's our strategic plan is get people into housing because we know that's what ends chronic homelessness
1: yeah yeah and you you know what you're doing whatever across the country should be doing it's not that there's there will never be a need for emergency. That's a different type of support through trauma. Right. But we need to grow that supportive housing. You're doing exactly that. And very exciting with lots of uh, builds going on. And a great example uh, for the rest of us. Now, like despite our best efforts uh, in this sector, our shelters continue to be full yes. uh, across the nation. Well, I'm pretty sure you'd agree that building more shelters, like we talked about, we shouldn't be doing that. Uh, why do you think this trend is, is continuing? Uh, and how can we think differently moving forward?
2: Yeah, I, I mean, it's such a complex question because you're absolutely right. Shelters are not the answer. Uh, we know that. We... You know I think a lot of things have happened especially over the last few years like, I, when I think about what our staff has been through in the last five years alone you know there's a there's an ongoing um, opiate crisis a toxic drug supply on the streets it's wreaking havoc with people and their families we have a housing crisis there's not enough affordable housing uh, for people to go to even if they want to get out of the shelters and then you know a lot of our a lot of our cities are hubs for people to come from other communities to get health services or uh, other kinds of support and then they, they end up staying and then often losing their housing. So shelters are full and then you add the pandemic to that and people have lost their jobs, they've lost their homes, uh, they've lost hope in, in many ways and many people um, unable to cope with that often will turn to substance use to mask that trauma that they're experiencing and it's a vicious cycle and they become homeless and uh, and then we need to try to wrap the supports around them to help them get back to, to housing. So I think... You know why is it happening just so many factors and building shelters not the answer a bill you know you're right that there will always be a need for emergency uh, situations but the real answer i think is housing and if we don't if we can't convince governments to come together and communities to come together as well um, you know we we need to talk about nimbyism we need to talk about stigma um, all of those factors so that people can be successfully housed in the community of their choice, um, yes. you know, not where we decide people should live, but where they decide they'd like to live themselves as well. So, so many factors. I think there's, and you know, we can have this discussion for the whole time today and we'll never solve it or at least, but I think, yeah. I think solving it together is, is, is housing
1: yeah yeah absolutely and you mentioned there like choice a variety of housing because there's not one type for everything youth have different needs the seniors people uh with physical and mental disabilities uh or challenges might have different uh, needs as well so all sorts of different needs absolutely yeah. and we've seen examples of that right we look at finland they had over 600 for the country emergency emergency shelter spots now they have like 52 and it's not Like they shut all those down they just over the period of 20 years built all sorts of different forms of affordable supportive housing exactly almost what you're doing uh in ottawa as well let's talk about innovation we talked we just talked about the challenges to it uh we could throw our hands up and complain or we can think differently and be innovative you've done exactly that can you talk about some of the innovative approaches you've taken uh pushing forward
2: Sure. Um, you know, I think innovation starts uh, right at the point of somebody experiencing homelessness. So, you know, I've heard people say before, let's not make shelters too comfortable for people to, to go into. And let's not, you know, give uh, too many services because people will get comfortable and stay there. I don't know about you, Michael, but I've never actually heard anybody say that their desire is to stay in a shelter forever. Um, <laughs> you know, we need to we need to wrap supports around people from the time that they become Uh, You know, uh, by the time they get to that point where they experience homelessness, to the point that we're able to uh, help them move along in their journey. So for us, it's providing health care in the shelter. We have a partnership with Ottawa Inner City Health and Care for Community Health Services, supported by the City of Ottawa and others, um, where we're able to... um, provide that care in the shelter so essentially running a mini hospital um and you know bringing people in for for care through diversion and um, we can talk about that now or we can talk about that after if you'd like but that's one of the innovations in shelter services that that we provide Uh, and then in housing for us it's targeting or, or designing the housing programs for um, for people in in the different needs that they have, so you know, for example, in the west end of Ottawa, we have a very large housing residence, uh, hundred units for people who are fifty five plus, and you know they're aging and would otherwise be on the streets. Uh, without that support, they have severe mental health issues, they have, uh, you know, severe aging, mobility issues, those kinds of things. So that residence is, you know, provides full support, 24-7 care for, for those residents around the clock. And then we have others uh, for other needs. So some uh, are, are more independent, they can have their own units, they don't need to have their food made for them, they can live quite independently, but they still need some supports with staff in the building to to help out, skills Skills development, those kinds of things. And then we have very low barrier housing. So we also provide housing for folks who, you know, uh, may not be successful in abstinence based programs and need harm reduction services, managed alcohol, managed opiate. Um, we, we also run a very, very, unfortunately, very busy supervised consumption and treatment service in the shelter uh, as well. And uh, for, for people who need, those harm reduction services. And our newest build uh, that we're about to embark on in the next little while is going to be 48 units downtown for indigenous people and women prioritized. But all of our buildings also serve all genders. and, um, And we just try to work with people wherever they are in their journey and help them move to that next stage. So I think there's a lot of innovation happening in diversion, so helping people move from the shelter. Um, Hopefully they never have to come in in the first place. If somebody books in and we're able to divert them somewhere else, so they get a better, uh, they don't have to to be in a shelter in the first place. We try to do that within the first, you know, 24, 48 hours when people are coming in the shelter. Do they have other choices? Can we help them access those other choices so that they don't um, get entrenched in, in you know, in the shelter system and in street life? Um, and then in housing, it's providing all of those other supports. So it's really, you know, when I see people moving from the shelter into supportive housing, they're often in the shelter in a very chaotic um, place in their lives, and when we're able to provide those services on site. And, and help stabilize their health and, and help work with them so that when they move to housing, they don't want to come back to the shelter. Um, so it's providing that continuum of care and really looking at the different needs of, of, of different groups of people.
0: Construct, a social enterprise by Blue Door, provides high quality residential and commercial construction and property services in the greater Toronto area. More than a business with a heart. Construct is a real solution to preventing and ending homelessness. Through its eight-week paid skills trades training program, complete with wraparound supports and on-the-job work experience, Construct lifts people out of poverty and into opportunity. To hire Construct for your next project or learn more about Construct's employment program, visit constructgta.ca.
1: You mentioned something. Well, you mentioned a lot of key things there. One of the things I, I'd like to kind of hone in on is you're talking about not wanting to return to the shelter. So, so sometimes, because people spend a lot of times, whether well, it's one night mm-hmm. in emergency shelter, that is their housing. That's their home. Yeah. Um, and so they, they might forge a sense of family. They've got other people there that they get to know. They've got staff that care about them. We put them into housing. All of a sudden, they're alone. They don't have that sense of community or family. So, so have you worked... I'm sure your team would if that have you worked at uh, creating that sense of community once people are in housing
2: yeah, absolutely, and I think that's sort of the beauty of supportive housing um you know really at its core because for us you know the the folks that um, have have that often will be at shepherds are not necessarily um, successful when when they're just plunked in a housing unit somewhere without you know without family connections or friends without that so those social supports without the health care supports they will inevitably be back in the shelter within you know days or months um, it, it often is not the, the choice for them. But supportive housing and wrapping, wrapping that 24-7 care around a person and helping build that community. So supportive housing is more than health care. Um, it's, you know, uh, we bring in a lot of volunteers. We have a lot of volunteers at Shepherds. Um, and they make all the meals, whether it's in the soup kitchen or in supportive housing. So, you know, three or four meals a day. Um, seven days a week, 365 days a year, our volunteers come in. And what the beauty of that is, is that they connect as well with with the residents in the building. They might come in and serve a meal, they'll play cards, they might help them learn how to cook. Um, there are club you know book clubs uh, we had a yoga club at one point so we try to have resident meetings and say what is it that you need and and what can we do to help make this feel like a home for you so in supportive housing it's that that community because, the 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 people that live there also have the support of staff, the support of volunteers, other kinds of services coming in. Sometimes it's bringing in therapy dogs, you know, to 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 make that connection with people. So there's lots of different ways that that, that we can do that. And for for the people that are there, um, they don't want to be alone in an apartment somewhere without that kind of support. And I think that's why supportive housing in this case, or in our case at least, is quite successful. And I would say we have over a 90%, if not 95%, success rate where people don't go back to the shelters because yes. once they have that safe place to be and they have a lock on their door and they have a shower that they can go in, you know, a hot shower that they can stay in for half an hour if they want, they're not, you know, at risk of belongings being stolen in a shelter or they're not at risk of you know six people being sardined into a room they have their own room and that's safety i think that's the start of of all of that and they may choose at some point that they want to live more independently somewhere else and they can do that too
1: yeah well said now you talked about Uh, health and its relation to, and I'll tell you, it's it's interesting how the degrees of connection. So one of our first guests was Dr. Jeffrey Turnbull, Mm -hmm. of course, one of our most popular guests, just an amazing, amazing man.
2: One of my favorite Uh, people.
1: um, Yeah, just, well, how can, like, yeah, who, But we called him Dr. Turnbull, he said, please just call me Jeff. Um, Good guy. And then another guest we had. Uh, on this show talked about shelter care from waterloo uh wow. our friend john <laughs> and he said hey listen this was not my idea i went and said she took the time she took me around and i thought the least i could do is is do something more and so i think people understand we've had a lot of pretty cool healthcare professionals on this podcast talking about the link um we had dr sandy bachman a while back who was head of the canadian medical association and he said listen uh, michael you know i could.'" If you tell me your postal code, I'll tell you your state of health, um, yeah. because it, that just showed access, right, to to healthcare. You definitely get this. Let's talk about healthcare and how did that come about? You do a lot of that uh, within your programs, right?
2: Yeah. So um, the folklore uh, uh, to this is when Shepherds was first uh, starting up, a lot of the folks that were served were, um, you know, the issues of the day were drinking was alcoholism. Um, You know, it's progressed so much more than that, unfortunately, these days. But uh, there was a person who um, was a, a chronic alcoholic who was staying at the shelter, and um, you know he would go out every morning before five o'clock because he was detoxing at night, and he needed to go out and drink and uh, to, to 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 stave off you know the the detoxing, and so. Um, the staff at the time were trying to to get him to stay for uh, actually to have Dr. Turnbull come in and and provide care for him, and he and he couldn't stay long enough to get that health care. Uh, so uh, you know, one of them said, um, "Why don't you stay here and have a glass of wine with me?" Um, and you know, this is early in the morning, but that's essentially the folklore around how it all started. He was able to stay and then get the health care that they needed. And then, of course, I think it it was Seton House in Toronto that was providing managed alcohol services at the time, and the the team went and had a look at at what they were doing. And then we brought that back uh, to, to Shepherds and really started our own managed alcohol program in the shelter so that we were able to help stabilize people. And then we've now moved that into supportive housing. So we've got two supportive housing residences uh, that have managed alcohol programs in them. And I think that's, you know, that's that's part of how all of that gets started because not everybody is going to be successful in abstinence-based programs, and then of course that's morphed over the years to you know be providing services, all kinds of different services. People need, uh, you know, we run the largest clean needle exchange in Ottawa outside of uh, uh, regular business hours. Um, you know, for for people who just need to come and, and, and get and get that to be uh, to, to be safer. Uh, you know, managed alcohol safe supply, managed opiates, clean needles. Uh, supervised injection services, they're all part of that, continu- that continuum of health. So if it starts in the shelter and then we can move people to housing, that's what we're, we're doing. And the diversion piece of that program is also that police and paramedics and OC Transpo can come and drop people off to us for care as opposed to taking them to emergency wards, jail cells. Um, you know so you say you're really saving those downstream you know you're, you're giving people the dignity of working with people who already have a rapport with them. Uh, people don't need to spend eight hours in emerge detoxing when we can help them in the shelter do that it gets police out on the streets and paramedics back on the streets more quickly and to be in the community where they need to be and uh, the, the co- there are cost savings to that so um, when John came down we you know we just talked about that we toured. Uh, the shelter and supportive housing. And, you know, he said, this is something that I think we want to do in in Kitchener-Waterloo. We're seeing a need for that. And they've brought shelter care to a whole other level now and are are doing some really cool things in Kitchener-Waterloo. So it's just nice to be a small part of those conversations.
1: I'd say a larger than a small part. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, did you not, besides saving lives with this health diversion program, $1.2 million, I think, over the course of a year or something is what you saved the system?
2: Yeah, we, we've conservatively estimated it at around two million a year, but that's um, those those numbers are all a, a little bit old, and, and we're uh, we now have a data team at Shepherds that we're trying to then bring all this information together because you and I both know when you go to government if you can't make the economic argument as to why you should be doing something then um, it's a lot harder to get these programs funded and uh, and they're really needed and they do have that other effect on the rest of the system so you know we need to be looking at where where can we where can we make those um where can we make those those shifts so that we have better outcomes
1: yeah it's such an incredible program one that we are looking to copy as well i'll tell you something about um being a harm reduction like a consumption site so we are not but blue door what happened is uh start of the pandemic about a month in we open up uh the isolation site and funny enough uh i end up and i am not a front line like i'm I, I don't have the talent to actually work on the front line i, I, I don't have that knowledge right and they're they're amazing they but are. we just had we opened it up real quick so i had to work the first shift which was people will tell you it was a pretty funny story about how badly i did uh, but we also had to learn on the fly about um man, uh, managing the like alcohol system right so i was i remember being in line in the pandemic at the LCBO, four clients, I'm going to buy, I'm like, what do they like? What do they want? How much should I buy? Like, so we were learning fly the flying seat and how same thing. They were so wonderful. I called. I said, we have no idea what we're doing here. Can you tell me about? And I learned so much because I think there's a big assumption when you, you hear about, you know, fentanyl and others, which of course kills me. Like, it's awful. It's awful. But they said the worst drug to come off of is alcohol. And I had no idea he alcohol others you will really hurt but alcohol withdrawal immediate withdrawal will, will kill you and they were talking about um some individuals have up to 16 tall boys a day and the worst time they talked about was 6 a.m in the morning because of course you've gone the longest time without it your body's a withdrawal i learned so much and they were so right. wonderful and it helped us um you know with that with that but it was it's such a learning care it was so needed for people that that don't understand that and and uh, the value of it and so i think it's so wonderful what you're doing with that diversion program and with uh the healthcare programs too so so let's uh let's switch it up one last time here um something you shared with me beforehand is that you have a passion around addressing stigma Uh, Can you share with our listeners why you feel so strongly about this and what you and the team are doing to make that change happen?
2: I think that um, that's one of the biggest things that we need to be addressing. I, you know, I'm sure that you've heard this. I've heard it a million times. Um, I've had people say it to me, uh, you know, just tell those bums and, and, and lazy people to get a job and, you know, they'll solve all their problems. And I don't think people have not everybody, but I think that there are there are some folks out there who feel that, you know, the answer to not being homeless is, is, is getting a job. Well, if, if it was that easy, people would be doing it. And, you know, there is you know, I don't I think that we need to talk about language and we need to talk about stigmatizing people because you know i think of the story of a, um, a young woman who uh who i met a number of years ago and um you know this is this is why stigma it, it actually really started me thinking more and more about stigma she was she she was a young girl who was sexually abused by one of her parents uh starting at four years old and she um she experienced that throughout her most formative years she had a sister that she was staying home to protect. And at 14 years of age, she couldn't take it anymore and she left home. So what do you do when you're 14 and you have no education, no job, uh, you know, no money coming in, no ability to support yourself, no family, no supports around you. She somehow made her, her way from the Ottawa area, out west to Calgary, I think it was, and of course, what, what what would happen you know somebody swooped in, took advantage of a young girl trying to you know to get away from an abusive situation, set her up in a dance hall and you know got her addicted to crack cocaine. Uh, she had a daughter that was taken away from her she lost you know she just she lost everything she had no supports. She finally made her way back to Ottawa a number of years later and she came to to, to the shelter we were able to put her in support of housing and um, help, you know, help just work with her on the trauma that she'd experienced, getting the counseling that she needed to deal with that, you know, just getting getting services to help her deal with her addictions, and for a long time she did super well, and uh, And she had a relapse and, and we lost touch with her for a couple of years, and she finally came back, um, and she, um, the long and the short of it is we, we continued to work with her, we continued to support her through housing, she she then became a peer support worker. She was meaningfully employed doing work that she had expert knowledge about, uh, and um, has made a big contribution to the community. She's no longer again. That's the whole issue of it's an experience, not an identity. And she is now she's now gone on to another job. So she, she was she was an employee of ours for a while, and then she was able to then go to another organization and make a contribution there. So. You know, people's lives change through this. That's why it's important to, you know, she would have been somebody who was standing on the street corner who somebody would have said, pull up your bootstraps and get a job. Well, if you have to deal with all of that trauma, you're not going to go out and get a job. That's not the first thing that's on your mind. And so that's why we need to talk about stigma and language. And, you know, it, it, it's the experience, not the identity. It's the, it's the lazy bums, get a job, that kind of stuff. We really need to humanize this. We did a, a, a very short series at Shepherds a few years ago called The Humans of Shepherds. And people told their stories on camera. Very short, very sweet the amount, the reaction to that was incredible. People sent notes to them, you know, you're doing great. We are so glad you're part of this community. Thank you for telling your story, um, sending you love. Like the, 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 the response was incredible. That same group of people out in the corner in a huddle on the street are the same group that people are saying, pull up your bootstraps, get a job, you're lazy. Exact same people. But when you they tell their story and you humanize it and you use the proper language and, and and you 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 just make the whole thing human for people, it's really hard not to want to help. So I think that's well well
1: I said. I yeah, well of course I mean the reason why do you switch the language around? You said that when you look at that person, see the person, see the brother, the sister, the father, the grandfather, the mother, right, the aunt. They are a person first who happens to be going through an experience at this time. That's right. And people see that. And I think you know. Generally, I don't think our I don't think television and, and media helps, right? Because when they show the pictures of people experiencing homelessness, it generally is. This, so, to try, I often say, when I'll, I'll go and chat with uh, anyone who will listen about uh, homelessness, and sometimes. He, Mostly with grade three, four, where they don't have any filters, they'll say, "What does homelessness look like?" And they'll be super direct and inappropriate. Um, and they'll say, they'll they'll actually describe me usually. And, and if you're not watching a video, it's like the, an older white guy with a big beard on the corner asking, like, "So, so they'll they'll describe that and I'll say, okay, you know, while that's what they might have may have seen um, on the streets of say Ottawa or Toronto, right? Um, there is no look. We say it's a feeling. It's a feeling of loneliness, despair, hopelessness." fear and that kind of thing and and if you look around uh, you know anyone here you don't know especially with youth because of the stigma even a youth who may not have a safe place to live will not define themselves as being homeless are experiencing homelessness because they're like oh no i'm not that i'm not that guy i'm not that person um do you have a safe place to stay well no okay well it's just changing language around it too because they don't want to it's you know it's embarrassing they just want to be like every other kid uh, in their class you're talking about laziness talking about the kid who's sleeping through class where people are like oh what a lazy kid where you don't know they were walking around all last night because now they finally feel safe so they're sleeping right um but yes stigma plays a big part and i think i i do believe we said this before and we saw this through what happened with the convoy and the giving to uh, your organization is people are good there's a lot of yeah. good there we just may not understand uh, that bootstrapping it or just getting a job. The trauma you described too uh, we've had um, trauma counselors on this to talk about that and he said at one point it might be someone is going along, they've got stable housing everything's great, uh, someone like myself enters the room and someone that hurt them really bad had a, a beard and that traumatizes them and it sets it up, it triggers it. You don't know until we deal with that. You also mentioned something that I'd like to address too around there is that, that ground where people say don't make Shelters or housing, too nice, you know, because you don't want to get them too comfortable or offer services where they won't get to, we're working on housing plans, but remember this, everyone, the biggest, one of the biggest things we have to offer are not four walls and a roof, but is compassion and comfort. I mean, someone's coming out of a traumatic situation. They, their first choice is not to land in the services that we provide. They're coming right. out of trauma. They've lost their home. The least we could do is provide them with a very comfortable space, even for a short time before we get working hard on that housing plan and get them a key to the front door. I I get it that, you know, that that piece about, you know, they may never want to leave. But at the same time, everyone deserves that comfortable, dignified space. Right.
2: Yeah. And I mean, shelters are uh, they're not they're not comfortable and lovely places that people want to, you know, throw down and stay forever if you think about you know most of most of us that are operating shelters we're operating rooms that people they're very small rooms and you might have six four or six people in a room um you know and and you know that whole issue of storage Um, you know people are walking with their life's belongings in a backpack or a couple of bags and we can't even always store their most precious things for them so you know the idea that anybody wants to stay in that lifestyle I think um, uh, you know and stay in a cramped shelter with no place to put their, their their belongings or you know with concerns that they could get stolen or just without that 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 feeling of being in a safe, uh, place on their own with a lock on their door. Um, you know, and just the, the, most basic things we had somebody that moved into supportive housing one time. And the first thing that we said, well, you know, what do you like about your new home? And he, he said the shower, I can, I can take a shower. Nobody's going to interrupt me. I can put my clothes down. Nobody's going to take them. Um, There's nobody that wants to stay in a shelter uh, for the rest of their lives. And so I think, you know, it, it, it would be hard pressed to make them so comfortable that anybody would really want to stay for a long time. People want to have a home of their own with the dignity of a place to stay where they feel safe and be part of a community.
1: Absolutely. Well said. Now, I know you've made some changes because you had 14,000 individual guests come in. (laughs) Uh, If people want to, listen, you're always accepting donations because the the, the need is greater than ever. Where can people go to find out more about the great work you're doing, get involved, or to donate?
2: Uh, They can go to our website, which is uh, sghottawa.com. We're on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. You can find us there. Uh, and so uh, we've got lots of, uh, lots of access uh, spots, to, to, uh, lots of places to access. And uh, all of our services are, are identified on our website. We also have a phone number anybody can call if they want more information. We're happy to chat as well with folks that might want to have other information. And there's also a donate uh, spot on our website as well if people would like to, to, to donate. And when you're donating, you're, you're helping somebody find a home
1: yeah you well listen you're being part of the solution right you know government certainly will always it should always play a part in this but sh- so should our communities uh, and we we know that so get involved give your time give your talent uh give your uh donation right. be a part of that solution for sure help the good work of the shepherds of good hope they are doing life-changing work dear thank you so much for your time and for coming on the show today so appreciate it
2: thank you michael great to talk to you appreciate your time as well awesome.
1: Thanks. Uh, You know, it's funny The I get, uh, of course, we do this podcast, we want to build awareness. uh, We want to build, you know, give people a chance to, to learn something each time we're on to share knowledge across the nation. And certainly... There's a lot to be learned today. I love this diversion uh, from a health sense. We've heard about diversion into uh, shelters, but also from this healthcare piece. And it is brilliant. And I think we all should be doing that across the country. I know a blue door we're in the midst of uh, doing that and working with uh, John Newfeld as well, uh, with shelter care, looking at that. So incredible knowledge dropped today by Deirdre. Great work being done, innovative, a different work uh, pressing forward. Uh, it's so cool. And you know what? Selfishly, through this podcast, I get inspired. I'm inspired today. Uh, very inspiring guests, doing inspiring work. Uh, her and her team are incredible. Check it out. Go to the website and donate. Listen, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, share it with friends. Uh, write a comment. And hey, if you know someone who should come on this podcast, a guest, reach out to me at michael.b at bluedoor.ca. I would love to hear from you. Or if you have any feedback. Until then, we'll see you next time on the way home.